0: Thanks very much. It's really good to uh, be here um, and uh, start the, uh, or build on, your discussion. So I'm Ian Jones from New University in Birmingham. Um, a bit of kind of scene setting, lots of what I'm going to be drawing on today is uh, informed by the EDD, Doctorate in Education, that I completed in May last year um at the Institute of education um, at what is now U- UCL so the um that um, work is uh, as I say forms the basis of some of what I wanted to to say and the um but I thought in terms of setting the scene, it might be relevant to also say that um i've been at Newman since two thousand and eight I teach um education studies, so I teach, work with, learn from uh, undergraduate, uh, masters and uh, doctoral students. Prior to that I worked at the University of Salford in a role that combined education development, coordinating, widening participation and before that worked in FE as an access to HE coordinator. Now that isn't just kind of autobiography for, for the sake of it, I think it's important for me to emphasise because it shaped my positions that I took in my research and it's influenced some of what I'm going to say now in terms of what widening participation is, what it was and what it could be. because. The core of my argument is widening participation, a bit like comfort breaks, has multiple meanings. It can, uh, uh, can mean all sorts of different things. Um, OK, so... Uh, sorry, I've lowered the tone. There, um, the, the, uh, and, and this has been taped. The, um, the, the, the presentation has got uh, four parts to it. I want to talk about my argument, um, and I want to talk about the research problem. I want to talk about the methods in the research, the dilemmas that came through that uh, research, and why narratives, which were a key element of that, why those narratives matter, and particularly why they matter for teaching and learning. So this comes back to, to my particular uh, position. So two slides in terms of my uh, focus and argument. So, I'm I'm wanting to highlight the tensions and debates in the framing of widening participation. And what I'm particularly drawing on today were interviews I did with 15 policy actors. Seven of those were national policy actors and eight were from within the institution, the institution where I work, and I'll say a little bit more about that um, shortly. My argument is that widening participation and transition are not simply problems to be managed, but are dilemmas to be problematised. So in my thesis, I was drawing on the work of Carol Batchy and her idea of what is the problem represented to be. So her argument, as I understand it, is that the problem of widening participation is one that is created um, and that is you 'll see me making reference to that in terms of the uh, the narratives. What I came up with is a typology and i 'm going to draw on some uh, examples uh, from that and the typology was framed in terms of what I called restricted reformist and extended narratives and i 'll illustrate these with examples and so the argument linked to the warm-up exercise that that Kate did was that widening participation, my argument is, has a contested meaning. However, those restricted meanings, those restricted narratives, I found, were the dominant ones in terms of how widening participation is framed. But there are spaces for other um, narratives. So, briefly, in terms of how I... Um, talked about narratives and meta-narratives. I don't, I don't want to go through all of this, but the, the key point there in terms of how we're living in the midst of our stories, you'll see that I'm going to argue and illustrate that the research that I did, yes, it drew on my experiences, but it began with a particular problem, okay, a particular situated uh, problem, but what I was interested in was, and continue to be interested in is, is there space for other ways of, think, of thinking about widening participation? And here we've got the, the notion of small-m meta narratives, and we can discuss this further. But briefly, before I get to this example, my thinking in the research was influenced by the work of Jane Miller, that I know Penny Jane Burke, refers to in her research and draws on this idea of the autobiography of the question. So I talked about my own autobiography briefly, where did the research question come from and what's the relations between practice and theory, and hopefully I'll illustrate this, but also Dorothy Smith's work in institutional ethnography, this idea of an entry and a standpoint. So I took a particular position Um, And I entered the research in 2010 with a particular uh, problem. What was that problem? The problem which was actually within a meeting, a meeting I took part in, an annual meeting, an annual meeting that is about the preparation of what was our access agreement. So this is the production of um, the Access Agreement in which um, I was a participant um, in that. But what, from my perspective, and I'm, I'm very clear that this is one perspective, there were others uh, represented there at the that particular meeting and throughout discussions. From my perspective, there was a, a sense of policy amnesia. This idea of policy amnesia... My supervisor on my doctorate was Professor Anne Hodgson, she and others in terms of this idea was related to 14 to 19 policy and what they argued was evident in 14 to 19 policy but I'm saying it's also evident in widening participation, was a sense that I was participating in that meeting and my sense was that there wasn't a, a history, a memory of what had gone before. And particularly, not a memory about the possibilities of widening participation. Why did that matter? Well, it mattered on a sort of a number of um, levels, but in terms of how the policy was framed, it mattered. Okay, so it was defining the parameters of the policy, and what it was doing was marginalizing, I would argue, other possibilities of what widening participation could be. So that annual process, um, that problem, and in a sense it was a problem without scare quotes, but using, thinking it through, using Miller, using Batchi, I was looking at it in another way as well, was the kind of the starting point for the research. So the second part of what I wanted to touch on was the, the research itself. So what I was wanting to look at was the interrelationships between in terms of the aim of the research, between national and institutional policies. And in particular, how certain policy actors, in a particular period, period, um, a particular era, from 2004, the establishment of OFFER, the Office for Fair Access, to 2014, and the production of a national strategy that was published by Biz. But was written by the Office for Fair Access and colleagues from Hefke. So that was the, the how that wasn't sort of random. Just neat in terms of ten years. It was framed in that particular uh, in that particular way. The methods that I used: um, fifteen uh, semi-structured interviews. Um, Within that, sort of purposive sampling, the, the seven national policy actors represented key national organisations. The eight institutional policy actors were subdivided into three. The first group were senior managers. The second were cross-institutional managers contributing to the access agreement. And the third group were heads of academic departments. So what I was interested in were the different ways in which those groups were interpreting this annual request to uh, produce a uh, access agreement. And it's, and it's that in particular that I wanted to, to talk about today. But the research diary I kept was also situating myself in, in this particular research throughout. So, given today's Theme, narratives, my brief examples in terms of my take in those interviews what was I wanting to do? Well it was an interpretation of how specific stories were told by those policy actors. That they were kind of characters representing particular uh, values and particular priorities. But there was this tension between policy as clear and as fixed, and drawing on Ball and this idea of policy contested and in flux. So I can't, went into the research with that sense. I teach in teaching education studies. You know, I teach social policy modules. So I'd, that literature was one that I was um, uh, familiar with. But it was that tension that I was actually um, interested in. So, briefly, in terms of how does that link to batchy and problematisation, it's this idea that the policy problem was produced and created in these interviews. So that was what I was interested in. I was interested in what, what was present and actually what was also absent from those interviews. So what was said and what was absent? And I'm going to move on and talk about those interviews themselves. Um, Secondly, linked to the idea of narrative, interrelated, the idea of narratives and institutional ethnography. So i made mention of Dorothy Smith. So an interesting idea, I think, from Bonnie Slade, talking about institutional ethnography, beginning with a disjuncture between lived experiences and wider social processes. It was a disjuncture for me between my sense of what widening participation was and how it was represented in guidance to the institution and actually in the text that the institution was produce, uh, produced. So what the interviews were designed to do, the interviews in 2014, was I was wanting to learn from, as it says there, what individuals do, how they work with texts, and how, in turn, their position might be regulated by organisational processes. So, it's this idea that, as I understand institutional ethnography, that yes, we can look at uh, lived experiences, but in place those in a wider um, set of contexts as well. Okay, so. Um, Part three, out of four, dilemmas. What were the... Um, and the narratives themselves. The, this was both immediately in the thesis, and as I've thought about it over the last year, questions that I've asked myself, is whether those discourses and narratives of widened participation, are they in contradiction with one another? So this idea that it's about recruitment, it's about particular forms of outreach... Is it even about teaching? Are they contradictory, or is it that they're just contested? If they are contested, what are they? And from my position, what I'm interested in, um, given my role now, is the implications for teaching and learning. And I just wanted to kind of take us through um, examples, and this relates to to the narratives. So, I talked at the beginning about this idea of restricted and reformist. So, what, I, what did I find from the, uh, the interviews? In terms of the interviews with the national policy actors, six out of the seven took place within two miles of here. Now, they took place in a range of uh, buildings within uh, two miles of, of here. And in one of those interviews, um, there was very much a sense of stability and compliance was being emphasized particular notions of marketization and support were being um, threaded through the interview so what I was interested in is what was not only what was present but what was absent from those narratives what what I realized halfway through an hour 15 minute interview when the person was offering their particular position, I thought, I've heard this before, where have I heard this before? And I realised that it was actually in a press release by that organisation, so that that person, given their role, was very clearly on message in emphasising a particular um, narrative. That was a national policy actor. By by contrast, one of the institutional policy uh, actors drew on the implications of compliance. He was a head of an academic department, or is. um, And the memories of particular texts that I referred to earlier helped to shape their thinking. But before I talk about the institution, I just want to give a couple of examples more about the, the national policy actors. So very much this idea of stability a particular idea around responsibility in the narrative, a particular idea of what student success meant. And assertions about widening participation being a partnership, yes, but differences of power within that partnership, those partnerships, were not considered. By contrast, another of the national policy actors, given their role, and this was interesting because it linked, to, for me, to these ideas around memory. They were, and what I perhaps haven't said, was in terms of what they said. It's not just what they said, it's how they said it. So it's the affective dimension. And this came through very, very clearly, was there, um, their memory So they weren't talking about a contemporary... Some of the interviews were very much about contemporary issues. This person was drawing on their their memory of something that had happened um, earlier in their their role. It was not a different role, it was in the role they were in. But it was about how access to HE was framed in terms of widening participation. And and again, my position as a researcher was relevant here, because that was my in-EFI... I was a, an access to HE coordinator working with a couple of other colleagues um, in in Northamptonshire. So, so went in first phase of my career, if we want to talk about that way. So I r- related a lot to this, and I related to it because when I was then in the northwest, what was evident was the way in which at the turn, and again coming to me, talking about the example of meetings, just like. The meeting about the access agreement was significant. I remember sitting in a meeting at Salford where literally there was a turn in terms of the concern of what the university was doing. So, with partnerships for progression and what was the other, which preceded aim higher, the, the what the university had previously done in terms of access to HE, it literally moved its um, priorities so that adults who became, in many ways, more marginal in that institution as well to to what the institution was was doing. And that was what was emphasised in the narrative of this second interview. Um, And that sense of, of frustration. That sense of frustration and that sense of unease was then expressed in a... In, um, an interview I did within the institution. This is with a different head of an academic department. Here they are drawing on not just their current role, this is not so much this idea of winding participation being a rather clumsy and potentially pejorative phrase. What this person is doing in the interview, were doing, is drawing on their memory of working in schools. So they'd worked in both primary and secondary schools before they came to Newman, they now have been at Newman for approximately 20 years, but this was their perspective. I don't like the phrase widening participation. I understand it, I understand its motivations and its motives, but it's not, and they hesitated, a very attractive phrase. Now, for me what was interesting is, as I've said here, is I think that that was a powerful condemnation of a particular form of widening participation, and actually a particular interpretation of raising aspirations, because I think that strand itself is, means many different things. It was a critique in the memory, as I've said there, of a particular form of aspiration raising, but and we can discuss this, it, it, I think, represents what for many is the dominant narrative of widening participation, um, and not what I think is is an interpretation of the phrase, but nevertheless it, it, um, when I did these interviews in 2014, and still, I think that that is perhaps a, a, a dominant view. So, where, where does that leave us, and what other spaces are there? And this is my kind of final, um, uh, set of reflections and thoughts. Um, the this is not the same person who, who I was just referring to, but this is another um, head of departments who was also troubled and continues to be troubled, as I do, by a view of students as a deficit. They, this is, those are direct quotations. Um, how do we raise this view of students as a deficit? Actually, many have a fantastic range of experience which we need to capture in positive and constructive ways. They are saying, to do that, I think we've got to have a different model of the relationship between the institution and the students. And I think for me, and I'll thread through now some examples and come back to some key ideas, I think that this is is key. Why it's key is, for me, this places teaching and learning this place is curriculum, this place is pedagogy at the heart of what widening participation is. It means that we've got a, we have a multiple view of students, the complexity of that and the, whole, the, the, the labels around widening participation student I think itself is, is you know problematic and we need to unpack that, we need to, to think about that. Um, and in a related way, then, why does this provide potentially a starting point for this idea that in my thesis, about extended small M um, meta narratives? Um, these ideas here relate to a journal article by Gail and Parker about transition, where they talk about three different they have a typology of three different types of transition. And I think the link to to, to my research is this is, it isn't about individuals or groups adapting to institutions or the incorporation of them into the culture of an institution. It may offer an entry or starting point into reviewing or reframing teaching practices within institutions. Now, Chris and I were just very briefly talking about definitions. I think that... And we, giving examples of different institutions, what I recognise is that position, I can take that position in the institution that I'm in. I can take that position in the role that I'm in. A question for discussion is that in an institution such as Newman, with approximately 3,500 students, um, why does that? Why am I mentioning that in terms of size and in terms of its relevance? in terms of 90% of the students being uh, being local, not living on campus, with them being from the first generation, if not the first in their family, we've got a scope in terms of teaching and learning practices and methods. And certainly in our subject, we have an approach which allows that, those ideas to be woven through the curriculum. A question I was asked in, the, in, in my viva. Uh, a year ago was something around, well, you know, is this, um, I'm not arguing that this is generalizable but I'm arguing that this was particular to to my position um, and, and others I work with, and we discuss whether that this is relevant uh, and how it relates to others. I, I just want to give a, an example. So that is a sort of, a, this is a, in a sense, a sort of an aspiration and a starting point in curriculum design and so you may say, OK, how does this work in practice? The, um, I've been involved working with, working alongside um, three students and I'm one of four uh, lecturers who were involved in an initial project which was part of a university-wide initiative called Students as Partners. Um, the students who were involved and were working with us were three female students uh, they were three students who self-defined themselves as being working class. They were three students who were all Muslim, but they themselves came from very different positions in terms of their faith. And that itself had relevance for their perceptions to do with the curriculum. The uh, I talked right at the beginning about the uh, the critical, I didn't call it actually, a critical event in terms of that meeting. This project began in a teaching session that I did um, in something like 2013, where at break, one of those students expressed a concern, not so much about what she was taught, but how other students were engaging with the discussions. And that provided a kind of a starting point for us building on and thinking about, well, what can we do about this? How can we respond? And the institution's funding allowed us to do something which, in one sense, was a time-bound project where they were interested in enriching the curriculum. They came up with a set of recommendations. They used a set of methods where, where our role was to advise the students, support them, support the students, they led the the particular project. This was not credit-bearing but it's something that informed and continues to inform the curriculum and the the recommendations that they came up with, those recommendations there in in the summer of 2014 were ones that are as relevant to us now. We still um, ourselves drawing on this project when I say ourselves I'm talking about myself and colleagues but we're also in contact still with these students they graduated um, three four years ago um, they're working either as teachers they're working in a PRU they're working as TAs they're still in contact with us but this is something that we are using in our own curriculum development to be thinking about the ways of um, developing what we're actually doing, so those had had rec- um, an immediate and I would argue they still have resonance uh, for us. so how if we kind of zooming in on that particular example of practice, if I'm finished by kind of zooming out and placing this in the, the wider context of my argument, these are two quotations from Pat Davis and others. And although that's from 1997, I'm going to argue that this, and the other quotation I'm going to finish with, have still got contemporary relevance. So um, what is being argued here? The contestations about what can be said and thought about HE, who can speak when, where and with what authority, who has the power to translate arguments into practice and determine the shape, size and axis of HE is key. But more than that, there's a quotation to finish on from Peder Shanahan um, about ways of thinking about access. And I think that this, when written in 97, referred to access to HE, I still would argue this has relevance to our discussions today. The question of access, he argued, must be inverted. It's not only a question of access into universities. it's a question of the access of universities into the knowledge of those who've traditionally been excluded. So for me, that's why, and again, I appreciate that I'm coming from a particular position that's why I would argue that these narratives have got implications for teaching and learning and pedagogy as well as other aspects of one participation. Thank you.